I'm Lean Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello everyone and welcome to the Motivated Classroom podcast. I'm really excited today to be speaking to Tan Wynn, someone who I absolutely love attending his sessions and we first met at the multilingual conference for the ECIS, which is the Educational Collaborative for International Schools in London, going back a few years now. So hello Tan, how are you? I am great. A little jet lag, but I'm so happy to be to have landed safely. Excellent. And thank you so much for joining me. So first and foremost, listeners, of course, we need to begin with our little bit of Irish as we do every single day. Now, this is a, an important phrase for today, and it is egg folum. Now, egg folum might sound like I'm talking about something to do with eggs or something to do with food, but actually it has nothing to do with that. It means learning. So in Irish, the word ag is pronounced egg, and that actually is ing in English. So if I said egg leiv, it's reading, egg snov, swimming, and egg folum is learning. So there's our little bit of Irish for the day. So today we're going to be speaking to Tan Wynn and I'm super excited about this. I've always looked up to Tan's work. He's so active on Twitter and he does such a wonderful job of just inspiring and empowering his learners. So I'm really happy to, to be chatting him today. So I'm going to try my best with an introduction of Tan, but we'll see how I go. So Tan is a career teacher, consultant and an author specialising in language acquisition and literacy development. He's taught students from fifth to 10th grade in public, private, charter and international schools and he served as a language specialist and is currently a secondary social studies teacher. He shares teaching strategies on his blog and podcast with the hopes of celebrating teachers who answer the call to serve multilingual learners and one thing I love about Tan's work is how open he is to share resources and share the things he's doing. And when I saw him live in action at that ECIS conference, I was blown away. So Tan, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy to have you here today. Well, Dr. Liam Printer, I am so excited to be here. And I can, we, as a teacher of language learners or multilinguals, we can learn a lot from our colleagues who are world language teachers. Since you started with an Irish quote, can I share an Irish poem as well? It's, a, it's shared by a friend who is, a, who is Irish and he always brings out his culture and he, and he shared with us during COVID last year, he said, at the end of the year, we all gathered together on Zoom and the, prince, and the head of school said, I wanna share this Irish quote with you that was shared by our colleague. And it goes like this, if we can winter this year, we can summer anywhere. And so uh, what a way, what a, when I heard that, I was like that, I'm going to use that forever. So if we that can winter so nice. this year or really two years of the pandemic, yeah. we can summer anywhere. And it seems like people are summering everywhere. That is such a lovely quote. And yeah, the Irish, we are known for our way with words. We have a lot of famous laureates and poets. So I'm really glad you shared that. That's wonderful. So go ahead, Tan, give us a little bit about your background. Uh, well, I started teaching a while ago, almost 15 years ago, and I started working with Teach for America. So it's an organization that finds uh, students or graduates uh, from high performing uh, private schools or often public schools. And then uh, they put them into super high need urban areas or rural areas in America where there's a lot of demand for teachers, but not a lot of uh, people go there to teach because of the poverty, uh, because of certain factors. And when you go there, you stay for two years. And when I went there, I stayed for three and I have not looked back from teaching. So Amazing. That's that's great. And I have to say, Tan, one thing I've immediately picked up on is just I love the way you use the word multilinguals all the time. It's such a positive term. And, it, and really, that does describe 
the learners we have in front of us. You know, I remember speaking to Beth Skelton about this recently, who we both know and who's been on the podcast, about the fact that when sometimes when people use the term EAL learner or English and additional language learner, now we are trying to start to use the term bilinguals or emergent bilinguals. But actually, multilinguals is such a lovely term. Would you use that in your classroom with your students? Yes, I use. Well, here's the uh, philosophy behind that. I used to use the term called language learners. Uh, and it, it goes back to Dr. Ofida Garcia, who really helped, helped us understand the concept of translanguaging. And when I talked to her, I, I realized that there's only one language, and that language is communication. Hmm. And we could use multiple languages to be understood and multiple languages to understand. So, for example, let's say when I was in Lao for the first year, I did not understand any Lao at all. Yeah. I would I would still go to the market and I still participated. I still interacted with the vendors and they still interacted with me, even though I didn't know any language. So what did I use? I used my hands. I used gestures. I used my calculator to show the numbers. And I, and I gave them my phone and I said, can you please put this in? How much is this? And exactly. we translate. And so look at, look at all those multi-literacy. Uh, so there's like using translating. There is using hand gestures and body and body uh, like body awareness, but yeah. using so I didn't it, the mo- term multilingualism or multilinguals is the understanding that you are okay with the language that you come to school with, and we're not going to try to erase that. We're going to not we're not going to use education as a way to colonize your culture. Yeah, gonna, you can say we're going to retain and sustain and maintain your language because your language is a direct link to your identity and your identity is informed by your culture. So to say, we don't want you to speak your home language at an English speaking school, basically says we don't recognize you or your culture. We don't value it in this institution. And so now we switch to multilingualism. We have a more expansive, we have a more compassionate, we have a more uh, full of view of what humans are capable of. I love that. It's so nice. And it really reminds me of at the conference we were both at when Jim Cummings was speaking and he said about if we don't embrace every student's culture and language and allow them, allow is such an awful word, but embrace or, you know, encourage the use of their home language. We shouldn't be allowing, it should be encouraged. Then what we're doing is we're forcing them to leave their culture at the door. And that really, that really struck a chord with me. It just made me think, oh my gosh, I would never want to do that. And I, I really tried to concentrate on that. And I suppose that brings me on to maybe one of my first questions for you, Tan, is that most of the teachers listening to this podcast right now, according to the stats I have at least, are world languages teachers. So most people listening are teachers of Spanish and German and French and Mandarin and all these other languages. And they often have the go-to of being able to use English as the L1. So in, even in my school, I teach in an international school, but I can often go to English if I need to, because that is the common language of the students. Now, I know you've taught in some circumstances where that might not have been fully possible and therefore you didn't really have that crutch to be able to say, oh, I'm going to just translate to English and therefore we have to kind of use their own languages a bit more. Is there things that world languages teachers listening to this can learn from that experience? You know, should we be doing more of those home languages and the translanguaging rather than always just translating to English? What's your thoughts on that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Because the reason why we want to use students' home languages, it's almost like, uh, I, I make the metaphor of having 
two hands and we type with two hands. We can type with one hand, but it's clumsy, it's slower, we make more mistakes, and then it just feels, un it feels less natural because our competency has been reduced to one yeah. hand. We're, we're able to use both. And that's the same thing where we say, let's have students use their home language because it's like two hands typing on a keyboard or on a type or on a laptop. And when you asked about uh, what uh, world language teachers can do is that they, it's with home languages, even if they don't speak L1, because at most international schools, there are at least dozens of languages represented. And so it's, it's not possible. Sometimes the Korean student is learning English for the first time and to have that, to have French translated into English and then in Korean would be really difficult. So the yeah. teacher would say, um, I'm going to put this maybe video in Spanish or like let's say French. Oh no, let's say Spanish because I, because I, I am a Spanish major. I can't believe that. And <laughs> so the teacher would say, let's say that there's a video about vacations and the teacher would play the video, but then in the subtitles, add Korean in the subtitle. Hmm. Or if there are like four languages, the teacher would play the video in Spanish and have those four kids uh, turn on their own YouTube and watch at the same time, but turn it on into their subtitles as well. Oh, that's such a nice idea. Yeah. So again, it's like saying like, because when we translate, we lose, well, things are lost in translation, yeah. but also we lose time. So now if we instead say, how can you use your home language? So we don't have to go through a third language as a mediator. Mm -hmm. We can just go to the first language. Right? And the kid, the kid, the Korean kid who's in the Spanish class knows that like Korean is going to be the language that he understands to be able to, to engage in Spanish. And it might be another way. Like, for example, let's just say that the once we watch the video in Spanish about vacations, the teacher is now saying, like, we want you to write about your experience at the most amazing vacation you had. So the kid would brainstorm in Korean first and the kid would be writing in Korean and using that mind map drawing out their ideas, labeling their ideas in Korean, and then getting the Spanish to support that mind map or that drawing. So then they're able to produce the Spanish that's required, but that's been mediated and bridged by Korean. Yeah, that's it's so nice. Yeah, and so important. So, yeah, just immediately for our languages teachers listening, there's some really lovely tips you can pick up straight away. Just that that little trick of getting them to watch the video on their own YouTube and putting it into their own language. That's that's genius. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So thank you so much. One of the things I see in your Twitter, of which you're very active and I love all the things that you share, but I really love how you encourage your students and you talk a lot about empowering language learners. Now, I've seen you mention and talk about a little bit Larry Fralazzo's framework. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and what that means for empowering language learners? So Katie Holspinick and Larry Falazzo just again wrote both prolific authors in our field and uh, so both practitioners in the field have stayed in the classroom, have continued to be in the classroom, have just thought about how their experience has been working with multilinguals and how that's been going and they've written a book being published this summer in 2021 and they're talking about uh, there are four things that, four factors that really motivate kids. And what's one, so that's autonomy, competence, that's two, three is relatedness, and four is relevance. So I'll talk about each one. So the first one is autonomy, and that's basically student choice. 
when students have the ability to choose how do they engage or maybe how the product will look or how about the process of engagement? Again, as I'm quoting Carolyn Thomas, and that's her framework for differentiation. If we can mm -hmm. get kids more choices in their educational experience, they're going to be motivated. For example, mm -hmm. let's just go back to that uh, vacation unit in Spanish. So the kid gets to uh, choose the vacation that they feel like they're, it's most important for them. So that's uh, content. Let's say process. They might be able to choose how they're going to communicate. They might be communicating on a Flipgrid. They might be communicating on a Google slide where they're going to write Spanish in Spanish. Or they're going to possibly uh, create, let's say, an animated video using Adobe Spark. But again, it's in Spanish but they get to choose how they are going to communicate their experience in a vacation. The next one is competence. Competence means our ability to feel like we are uh, reaching our goal or being to, just to be able to feel successful at what we're doing. And so competence means do kids feel, I guess that I can break them down into competence into two lenses. One's lens is uh, comprehensive input. Do they feel confident and competent in class? by understanding yeah. the instructions. So this means that they can use the home language to understand the teacher, uh, that the teacher is making it comprehensible for them, that they feel like they understand the instructions. So that when they feel like they understand the instructions, this leads to be output. Output meaning they're able to perform, participate, engage in their home language, in the language that they're we're trying to teach them. If kids feel like they understand, they'll be able to uh, produce the thing that we're asking them to do. So that's competence. And so I guess going back to that Spanish example of the vacation, the kid might feel, okay, I am, I feel competent in this, in this task because I feel like I understand the instructions. The teacher has given a, a list of words that I must use in my product. So I understand So there are like 10 words that I have to use. And then there are, uh, maybe the teacher has broken down, like you have to have at least, this is the sequence. You need to have, you need to start first with saying like, What's the vacation? So describe like maybe uh, like the, the packing of, of things to get there. Maybe the next part of the product is kids are going to be talking about um, what happened when they got there, like the, their first mm -hmm. experience of arriving in Phuket, Thailand, for example. And then maybe the last part, maybe kids can talk about what was a memorable experience during that trip. So now that the student has these instructions in front of them, okay, these are the 10 words I have to use. These are the three uh, phases of the thing I have to produce, the beginning, middle, and end. And so I feel competent in my ability to communicate what I have to do because now the instructions are super clear. And that's that importance of scaffolding, you know, having given the students some of those prompts that they, it does give them more confidence and they feel like they can go somewhere with it. Yeah, absolutely. Kids can feel competent because they've chosen the the output product so maybe they so this kid this korean kid might might choose okay i have lots of photos and videos on my trip to phuket so i'm going to be able to use that and put it into an adobe spark and there are subtitles in spanish and i'll be the kid will be reading it in spanish to communicate mm -hmm. the, his or her trip or their trip during the experience the third part is relatedness so this means um, are we creating an environment where kids, the student's effective filter is lowered. So the effective filter is from Dr. Stephen Krash, and he talks about when kids feel stress, 
they're not able to learn because they're using their cognitive abilities to mitigate that stress yeah. or to not participate. So relatedness in the concept of learning a new language is kids are not put on the spot. Kids are participating in their own way. Maybe they are, instead of saying, uh, conjugate this word, and the teacher is calling on a student one at a time, it might be conjugate this word in a sentence using a sentence starter with your friend, with a partner. So the sentence starter has already been written in, in Spanish on the board. The word it has it maybe, let's just say, conjugated in six different ways. The kids have to choose one that makes sense for them. And then they're going to be saying that to their partner. And then their partner will be saying that to them. And so in this way, we make kids feel like they are successful. Because imagine just teens. Teens, the, the thing that they hate the most or they're scared the most, if you want to turn a teen off to learning, is you embarrass them in front of their peers. Exactly. We must do things that make kids feel like they're never threatened, that their mm -hmm. identity and reputation is intact, but also bolstered in our classes. Absolutely. And, you know, Tan, I th it's it's so lovely hearing you mention autonomy, confidence and relatedness because the listeners of this podcast will will be familiar with those items. We talk about them. They're the three core aspects of self-determination theory. And I love the way you brought it back in and you talked about those three different elements. And the thing that I found in my research was they're actually really interlinked as well. If you are allowing some autonomy to students and you're not the, as we say, the sage on the stage, you're not the, the big person in power saying you must do this, you must do this. If they feel some autonomy, then they start to feel a better relationship with you. So relatedness is going up. And now, oh, well, now I can, I'm kind of willing to speak the language a bit more because I don't, I'm not really scared of the teacher anymore because he lets me be who I want to be. So they're all related to each other, which is one of the, the, the lovely parts about it. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit more of what they say about relevance, because that is not part of self-determination theory. They, they're the three basic psychological needs, autonomy, competence, relatedness. But I've seen lots of people writing about relevance. So so what do what does Larry Falazzo say about this then? Relevance means the ability to connect the content or the learning to what students have experienced in their lives. So this mm. means saying like, again, going back to that vacation part, I still remember my Spanish teacher saying like, um, okay, so you, and this is not to talk negatively about my Spanish teacher. I loved them all, uh, but they, the, so the, the traditional experience that I've learned was, here's a video in Spanish. We're gonna learn about uh, Luis, or let's say like Fernando, in mm -hmm. his, he's going to Malaga. He, he lives in Barcelona, but he's going to Malaga for his trip. And then we watch a video about his experience, his trip, and then we have to go back and write about his experience and his trip. Again, as an American, well, as a Vietnamese American living in Philadelphia, there's, I have no connection to Barcelona or Malaga, <laughs> right, at that time, as a 10th grader. So, yeah, so I, I mean, of course, I engaged with the activity, but I don't remember feeling motivated. I, feel, I felt like this was a task I had to complete, uh, but it wasn't a task that uh, mirrored who I was or really, or really allowed me to bring myself into school. Goes back to what um, Dr. Jim Cummings said: When we don't allow kids' home languages or culture into the school, we don't allow them to be part of the school. Now, my teachers, my Spanish teachers, didn't intentionally do that, but at that time, we weren't really thinking about how can we bridge the family and school divide. And this is what the relevance means. So, mm -hmm. when there's a con another concept by Dr. Sims Bishops, 
And she talked about the concept of mirror, sliding glass doors, and windows. And she, she said, books have to be like mirrors that help us see ourselves in the book. Sliding glass doors means it allows us to be, to open the door, and books allow us to open the door and allow us to be part of a community that we were never allowed to be part of before, or we never had the opportunity to be part of before. And then the window means we are allowed to see into a different world. I know that we, I know that her concept was applied to books, but really now we're applying it to the social justice movement. And yes. what we're saying is saying like, okay, I'm going to create a unit or a lesson in which I allow either for you to be mirrored in the content, in the learning, or for you to learn about another culture, or for you to bring your culture into school. So that's the sliding glass mm -hmm. door part. And so for going back to the Spanish unit or about vacation, the teacher simply saying, please share an ex most amazing experience you had on a vacation, allow students or empowers students to say, I'm going to bring myself into the school experience. And I'm not going to just talk about Fernando in his experience in Malaga. I'm going to talk about my experience as a Vietnamese American going to maybe Orlando, Florida for the first time. And I'll talk about all the sights and scenes and all, all the smells and all the experience of, of going to Orlando as we turn to new millennium. And so that's an experience where I would feel the, the unit now reflects my knowledge, my experience, all of my funds of knowledge. And so when we see that, this is where the relevance happens. And therefore, when there's more relevance, kids feel more connected to the school. And then therefore there's competence, meaning like they feel competent because the experience comes from them. Exactly. Having them think about, wait, I wonder what I would feel like if I was Fernando. Yeah, that's the thing, you know, it, it you know, you've touched on so many important areas there. And it's really interesting hearing you speak about relevance because Ryan and Desi, the founders of self-determination theory, they've got like, I suppose relevance is kind of rolled into that basic psychological need for them of autonomy because they talk about ownership over the learning and following your own passions and your own bits of your own life and things that are important to you. But separating it out and joining it through with that word relevance is actually really nice. And, and I can't agree more with you, Tan. I'm 100% with you. I, I have the exact same experience <laughs> learning French in Ireland, you know, and again, no disrespect to my teachers, they did a wonderful job but I remember clearly you know reading what felt like every day or over and over again about Pierre in Paris who would eat his baguette in the morning and then have his croissant in the afternoon you know all the stereotypes you can imagine all rolled into just one text and yeah you have no connection to that you're a 12 or 13 year old boy and like even though Ireland is geographically close to France I had no connection whatsoever whereas if they had allowed me to speak of the time I went somewhere in Ireland then that would have been so much better and I I think what's interesting is some teachers listening to this don't go then yeah but what about the Spanish culture if you're allowing Tan to talk about his trip to Orlando and Liam to talk about his trip to Dublin well then how are they getting culture but then I always reply but that comes from you then as the teacher you can talk about your experiences of going to that Spanish culture and the things that happened to you there when you went to Mexico and then you maybe you get the students input first and then you pull it together and you maybe talk about what it's like to be in Mexico for Dia de los Muertos as an experience and I think that that's is, is a lot of teachers sometimes fear that and say, oh, but they won't get any culture then. They're not, they're, you're only talking about your experiences. Would, uh, would you agree with me on that? Absolutely. And I would say, this is how I see it. There's formative assessment and then summative assessment. And I would say the summative assessment as much as possible, be connected to students' culture. 
let's make that part the relevant mm -hmm. part where they can bring in their culture or bring in their experience to add to the summative. But the formative is when we are starting to learn about the concept of vacation in Spanish or, or those words or the conjugation of words in Spanish or those verbs in Spanish. Kids, the teacher has to, to teach that and the teacher has to teach culture in Spanish as well. That would be the formative assessment part. So that's the first phase of learning where kids, the teacher says, we're going to create shared learning experiences. And the shared learning experiences is, is looking at Mexican culture, if we're learning about that, or maybe Spain then, I guess we'll, we'll focus on, this, on the Iberian Peninsula. The teacher will say, okay, we're gonna learn about Spanish culture. That is the intent of this curriculum and this course. I'm gonna be, we're gonna create shared experiences where we're gonna learn about Fernando, his life and his experience, so that it gives us a common, common experience where we can talk about what he did, what he felt, where he went, what were his actions. So then because we're talking about those things that Fernando did, this develops our Spanish, right? So we have a common language. And so culture is still taught there, but culture can't be void throughout the entire unit by saying, let's only talk about Fernando. Now, now that we talked about this formative where we talk about Fernando, I'm going to turn it over to you for you to talk about your experience. On the podcast previously, I've had uh, the author Adriana Ramirez from Colombia and, and Adriana writes amazing books about Colombian culture. But one of the things I love about her students, like she makes a little video of her IB graduates, like the year 12 or 13, or we might call them grade 12. And it's a little conversation she has with them about how the course has been. And these are students from all over the world, from all different backgrounds. And it's really nice. They often talk about all oh, this class I felt really welcome because I could bring my own culture and Adriana often talks about they're learning about my Colombian culture but I'm learning about Chinese culture and Mongolian culture and I'm learning about Turkish foods and Turkish coffee comparing it to Colombian coffee and that's a really rich learning experience because you're not just learning about Fernando going to Malaga or, or living in Malaga you're learning about your comparisons and how you can bring that together which I think is is just that's real learning for me you know So to add to that to the summative, maybe one section of the summa, uh, the summative, kids gonna have to talk about Fernando and his experience, but that's not the only thing we can talk about. Right? It should be let's com you compare your experience going to wherever you went, plus comparing that to Fernando's experience. That connection. The, the, the connections. Yeah, exactly. That I was just going to say the connections. That's exactly it. Now, Tan, we're almost out of time here. I could talk to you all day, um, but we, we're going to try and keep it to the 30 minutes if we can, but that'll be difficult for this one. So I just wanted to quickly ask you about, you talked about there about books and being a mirror and our classes and representing and kind of seeing ourselves, but then being able to see through into other cultures as well. Now, we are talking in the month of pride. It, it might not be Pride where you are around the world. You may be listening to this in five years time, but right now it is Pride Month and we are actively trying to show and encourage all voices in our classrooms all the time and to show acceptance and inclusion and diversity for everybody. And I just wanted to talk to you a bit about that, Tan. You mentioned about being Vietnamese American and growing up in America. You know, did you feel like pride was a thing when you were growing up? And do you think it's an important thing now that we need to show that representativeness in our classes? Yes, of course. Now I am a proud gay Asian American teacher. Right. That's one of my identities. I have multiple identities, and uh, <laughs> one of that, one of those, is the, is the, my uh, the gay side of me. Right? Fantastic. And so, what I do is instead of like, let's say, 
blank month we talk about this is latin american month like uh yeah. latin x month this is african american month this is uh european whatever europeans have lots of months <laughs> <laughs> oh this is not asian american month we say we integrate it throughout the year Lovely. for example like when i was talking about in unit one we talked about human rights and the shared experience that i talked about human rights is through the lgbt lens as a gay american or as a gay person i use that experience of saying like i grew up thinking that i could never marry somebody mm. i grew up as a kid thinking that i had to that i had to hide the fact that i'm gay that i when i wanted to go to prom i decided not to go to prom because at that time the school was not happy with the concept of me bringing a boy to school right and so i shared that with my my eighth graders and normally they don't listen but yeah. when i share that experience you could all tell they were stopping and they were listening and they were like okay he's sharing a little bit of him with us not but however it's connected to the concept of human rights and so but that was in august september and so if i waited for june it would feel forced but yes. what, what we're trying to say is um, we want to be inclusive of all cultures, religions, faith, ways of being throughout the year. But we have to integrate it in our experience or in the instruction. So maybe Fernando, let's, I wonder how we can make it more inclusive for yeah. him or more inclusive for people. I, the way you might do that is I, I might say, um, I would say, I remember this one trip with my boyfriend it was a wonderful experience he ex-boyfriend he flew from germany and he went he went me all the way in his family to in vietnam we went to uh lovely da nang and then we went to this old um village this old uh unesco world heritage village where all the buildings are maybe no more than two stories high and they're all stuck together and at nights, the lanterns were glowing and it was so romantic. And it was such a beautiful experience to walk between the alleyways and get lost and to see the bougainville at night and how the lights from the lanterns lit up the whole town. It was a wonderful experience. And then, but again, I didn't talk about like, that was using the concept of vacation at a unit and me bringing myself to that. Me bringing exactly. the, the gay side of that and not saying, yeah. oh my, I have a friend that I work yes. with, right? And so the kids yeah. feel like it's not just, oh, this month we're gonna talk about uh, LGBT pride, but it's like, yeah, I totally we're agree. proud the whole time. Or yeah. it's not it's not like this month we're gonna talk about Asians. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Asians are Asians 24 seven. I couldn't agree with you more, Tan. Honestly, you are just speaking gold right now. It's so true. I saw someone post something similar to this, like I'm a teacher. I support all of the students in my class. I am very proud to be a gay man. I am, you know, a supporter of LGBTQ plus rights for this Pride Month, dot, 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 and all of the rest of the year too. As in like, you know, it's not just for one month and you're so right. And I think what you said there was so lovely that just mentioning your boyfriend at the time, it just, it normalizes it all and it makes it just like yeah, it's just part of it it's not like the main theme of the story that we're all oh, oh my gosh there's a gay couple it's no it's just the couple happen to be gay like it doesn't really matter right. and i think that's 
very powerful. And that's something I've been trying to bring into my lessons that, you know, rather than talk just about black history or, you know, things that have happened, it's like, no, we have characters in our story or in our book who happen to be African-American or who happen to be from Bangladesh or who happen to be from India. And that's just their identity. But it doesn't need to be the focus. It's just showing that we have diversity and all the time. And, and I think that's really powerful. And so I think I'm, I'm thinking about what if language teachers have to teach a certain culture, right? And they do. So I would say that, so they have to bring that in. Hopefully in the media and the text that they're using is not just, let's say if it's Spaniards, uh, Spain is incredibly diverse. I hope that they're not only showing European looking Spaniards because there are Asian exactly. Spaniards as well, right? I hope they're also showing people who are differently abled. So yes. it's not just people who are not in wheelchairs. We have to find representation that is inclusive of not just white heteronormative. We have to find representation that is not just Europeans that are represented. I Even totally as agree. we teach culture, because when, when we say go find a Spaniard, a Spaniard is not just the typical, typical uh, fair-skinned European that we're looking for, because now it's so diverse. It's saying like me, as an American, people are still shocked when they say, where are you from? I'm America. No, where are you from? Yeah. I'm American. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want me to say I was born in Vietnam? Okay. I was born in America and now I'm American. <laughs> and so I'm saying like we have to change the narrative of of uh, white monolingual or white heteronormative because that's again teaching is politics. Yes. 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 School governments and or cultures and organizations institutions have used school as a way to indoctrinate students. And we now have to realize how can we change that? How can we, that doctrinization can be more inclusive. Yeah, that is exactly it. And I have an amazing episode coming up with the amazing Maude Warrett. And we talk about her experience as a mixed race French woman growing up in France and then moving to the UK. And it's a fantastic, fantastic episode that ties so well into this. Tan, thank you so much. I absolutely love that conversation. I could have talked to you all day. I'm going to try and wrap it up now with just one little thing that I want to add to what you said there is I have been reflecting on how I teach things and I've been trying to do exactly what you said just to try and show, you know, what is in there in my units for people who are disabled, what is in there for people with autism, what is in there for people from all ethnicities and all backgrounds. And just you can make the smallest little adaptations to your projects and they, and they can suddenly be much more inclusive. So, for example, we do a project where the students have to come up with the restaurant of the future or the product of the future and they have to sell it in a kind of a shark tank, dragon's den type thing where there's native speakers at the back or, or advanced learners who are kind of deciding which product they'll invest in. And in the past, there were the instructions. But now I think I'm more aware of this. Now when we, we were doing our products, they were talking about restaurants and they showed me their plan. I'd say, yeah, but how do I know that this is a welcoming place if I'm gay? How can you show this to me? Because I don't see it. It looks very European centric right now and it doesn't look like a place I would like to go if I happen to be gay. What what can you do? And they're like, oh yeah, nice idea. Okay, I'll put the rainbow flag here and I'll make sure that we have um, some of our waiters are from all different uh, backgrounds and have different sexualities. I was like, very nice. Okay, and what about if I have a brother who's disabled? What, how will he access your restaurant? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, okay, okay. I need to think about that. And those tiny adaptations just make them think we need to think of other people and not just white, straight men and women, you know? We, I wish there are more teachers like you in the world. 
<laughs> this podcast, this podcast will serve uh, a window to help people see a different way of teaching. Exactly. And that is the point. So thank you so much, Tan. I absolutely love chatting to you. And we will finish, as always, with our little bit of Irish for today, which was egg folum, which means learning. Thank you very much to everyone for joining on the Motivated Classroom. I hope you enjoyed listening to Tan as much as I did. Tan, thank you so much. I'm so honoured to be here. And we will leave it there, everybody. Guramila Mahagav, August Salon Awalia. The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.